Hello out there in the ether, coming to you from utterly freezing Washington, D.C. today, and I couldn't be happier. If you've listened to the show, you know how much I absolutely despise heat and sweating, and uh, it's glove weather right now. Pretty happy about it. I'm just getting back from a little jog with the rescue puppy. The route we take runs right along this stream, and the stream separates us from the Smithsonian Zoo, which is very cool, unless you hate zoos, which my best friend does, so I won't have her listen to this. Yesterday, we saw a cow just sitting there, eating some grass. The puppy didn't know what to make of it, thought it was some type of dog on steroids. But I digress. Today's episode is part two of my chat with California's Deputy Attorney General, Stacey Schesser. But before we get to that, a few of the headlines. CNN reports the Irish Data Protection Commission has fined Meta roughly $275 million for failing to prevent hackers from siphoning off personal information from more than 500 million Facebook users in a 2019 data leap. The announcement on Monday, November 27th, is or was the fourth time this year the DPC has issued a penalty against Meta. Some total of those fines, $912 million, which includes fines against Meta-owned Instagram and WhatsApp for GDPR violations. In this particular case, the DPC investigated after Business Insider reported that more than half of a billion Facebook users, Facebook users, details were posted on an underground hacker website, a result of the hackers using Facebook's contact importer tool to, quote, match known phone numbers against the profiles of Facebook users before harvesting additional information from their profiles, end quote. Meta said since then it's made changes to its systems used during the time in question. Relatedly, Irish Data Protection Commissioner Helen Dixon said the DPC is looking into Twitter's ability to meet data privacy obligations after the massive layoffs and resignations since Elon Musk took over. You'll recall Musk decided to lay off half the company's workforce, which Routers reports was around 3,700 people, and another 1,000 or so have resigned. The news site reports that Dixon has said, quote, we are concerned and we're tracking it very closely. So far, we're getting answers to our questions, end quote. German data protection authorities have banned Microsoft Office 365 from schools due to privacy concerns around its use of U.S. cloud providers. Computer Weekly reports that Germany's 16 state regulators and the federal regulator said Microsoft isn't transparent about how it collects and processes personal data, nor how third parties might access it. So it's not legally compliant with the GDPR. The regulator said the contractual documents don't allow for, quote, conclusive evaluation of processing, including for the company's own purposes, end quote. And lastly, hey, Australia, it passed the Privacy Legislation Amendment Bill 2022, which increases the maximum penalties for serious or repeated privacy breaches from the current $2.22 million penalty to whichever is the greater of $50 million three times the value of any benefit obtained through the misuse of information, or 30% of a company's turnover in that period. Yikes. Okay, on to today's chat. So Stacey, my guest, made this disclosure during part one that I'll include here for safety's sake, and because I know she'll be pleased that I do. She's talking as Stacey and not on behalf of the California Department of Justice. Okay, we're clear on that? All right, before I launch into part two, a quick recap of some of the highlights from part one as a refresher. If you haven't heard part one and you're starting with this episode, are you also the person who reads the last page of a book first? It's just weird. Here's last time. My parents' funny joke when I was little was we could name her Vanessa and then I'm from Jersey originally, so I would have 
I would be Vanessa Shessa. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it, I I know that there's some uh, there's some uh, like a little bit of background joke attached to my last name. But yeah, you you nailed it. Great job. Got it. Finally, it's only it took like four years, but I'm here. I think we did a fantastic job so far with CCP enforcement. I think even if you talk to members of the private bar, I think they'll have. Uh, you know, very positive things to say about how reasonable we, we've been throughout this whole process in terms of what our enforcement has looked like. Um, I'm very, very proud of our first enforcement action that we filed in August against Sephora. And now the next thing that's up is, and you're gonna, you're gonna cringe when I say this, but it's Cipra. I know that nobody says it that way. They say CPRA, that's a huge Twitter debate right now, but I've always said it's Cipra, is that? Do y'all all use Cipra in the AG's office? Yeah, I mean, I oh. guess the secret's out right now, but I think we all refer to it as some, I don't think that many people call it CPRA. I know this is like a hot- It is, it's hot. A hot poll. You know, when CCPA's enforcement date went into effect on July 1st, 2020, we sent out notice letters right away. And I think everybody was really surprised. They were like, what? They're enforcing it on the first day? And it's like, of course we're enforcing it on the first day. That is what we do. We are enforcing laws. That is, you know, the Attorney General is the chief law enforcer for the state of California. And now, on to today's conversation. Enjoy. Love you. Talk soon. But was there anything that you're, like, looking back as, as is it your first time as an agency dealing with all of that that you would have changed? Gosh, that's such a great question, too. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that because... I think that we did the best with what we had um, with and what we were given um, and what was expected of us at all times, right? And, you know, obviously I would have wished that the pandemic never happened and that my team could have been, you know, for example, all in the same room when we were trying to hammer out last minute regulation language or trying to figure compile the package together as opposed to like doing these things over Zoom. Um, I will say that because we are all, you know, kind of, technology nerds and like to tinker in general, you know, we, we actually were able to move into this online world pretty seamlessly, you know, compared to, um, you know, other, other different sections within DOJ that might not have had the same sort of like love and passion for technology. Um, so, you know, we did the best that we could with what we had. Um, I think the other thing is like, I could, I always feel like this is the case for me at least is that I wish I could be doing more in terms of educating consumers. Um, because at my, you know, at my core, I, I am here to protect consumers. I'm here on behalf of the people of the state of California. I'm not here to necessarily be advising businesses on how to comply. That's for their legal counsel to do. That's for their legal counsel to look at, you know, for example, the case examples that we posted on our website um, that, you know, provide information about notices to cure that we sent out and what biz- what steps businesses took. Um, you know, that's for private counsel to look at and to make advice to their business, to their clients on how do they, they can get up to speed. I wish I could do more for, you know, in general for talking to consumers and telling them about their rights and how to exercise their rights and talk about how, you know, they're supposed to have greater ease with the global privacy control, um, and, and trying to make privacy more palatable and easy for them to really embrace. Um, I will, I will say though, I, I do think it's important for entities and companies and startups to think about privacy from day one. I think you have to start shifting to more of a privacy by design approach. Um, because I, I think that that is the world and the direction that everybody's moving in. And so the, 
the earliest that you can bake in privacy, the more critical it is. Not for a legal compliance purpose solely, right? But also because it's the right thing to do because data is flying around all the time. And in some cases, you know, having, sitting down and thinking about like a new product or service, maybe the answer is don't collect it. Maybe the answer is minimize the amount of data that you're collecting or the amount of data that you're using. And certainly the amount of data that you're sharing or selling. Um, because I do think that it's been the, that the, that the, that the onus has been too much on the consumer to figure all of this thing out, all of these things out. It is, you know, a full-time job. It's a full-time job for me. And I still don't have my arms wrapped, wrapped around it as it relates to my data. Imagine how it is for a consumer that's not really familiar with how, how privacy works or how data, um, data flows work or, or all of that, um, to wrap their arms around this. And so, you know, the, the onus should really be shifted back to the businesses to just do less in terms of collecting data and minimizing data, data collection, um, because it, it it can't just be on the individual to think about things from a perspective of, you know, oh, this is my choice. There's too many choices at this point, right? So, um, you know, that choice, sometimes that that analysis is like leading us to, you know, not being able to do anything and then feeling like it's too much and overwhelming at all times. That was one of the reasons, too, why the user-enabled global privacy control regulation and the GPC, that was the intent. Like there were, we heard from consumers. We heard from people saying, help, we can't get our arms around this. We need something that makes this easier for us. And that's exactly what we we were considering when we drafted the regulation. Um, and so that's really what I always want to do better by, you know, like, um, I, I try to teach, I try to, we are consumers and you and I are both consumers. You know, we might be, I might be a lawyer. You might be a journalist, but we are at our heart. We are consumers. We walk through this world as consumers. You know, I'm a parent. I'm raising my kids to try to be, um, aware of what is going on with their data, you know, as a, like, you know, as bite-sized as it could be. One of my greatest moments was during, I overheard a, a, a conversation that my, um, then 10 year old had with her friend where she was like starting to get more into her iPad. And she said to her friend, well, did you read the privacy policy before you downloaded the app? I mean, I was like, yes, mom win right there. Oh my um, God. No, yeah, that was good. Um, but like, I want to be in a world where she doesn't necessarily have to read the privacy policy and the, the, uh, the way in which a company is handling data is just more responsible. Yeah. I mean, we don't even have time to say CPRA. It's too long. We're saying separate, like we don't have time to read privacy policies for the love of God, you know? Uh, so I agree with you there. We do need to shift the onus and, uh, you know, coming from a kind of a little guy background, I'm always sort of a fan of making it easier for the little guys and girls out there. I want to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned. Um, I want to go a little bit deeper into Sephora and GPC. You know, I kind of asked you, are there things you would do different? Are there on the daily or on the regular for you um, misconceptions, perhaps frustratingly so, that your office has had to battle in terms of CCPA enforcement? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that, I guess, like there's some bad legal takes out there. I've seen some bad legal takes, right? One thing that I want to really dispel, and I think it's obvious by now in our conversation, is that just because the agency exists, it doesn't mean that they've taken any of our enforcement authority away, right? They're, the rulemaking authority shifted to the agency, but you know we still have enforcement authority 
as the attorney general and the chief law enforcer, I saw like a, you know, a couple of uh, social media posts where people think that we don't have the ability to enforce, which is 100% incorrect. It's at the very end. You have to reach to the end of this very lengthy statute. It's like 1798.199, I think 0.90, it might be like towards the bottom. It says that we have civil enforcement authority. So I just want to dispel that right, right away. Um, I think sometimes people have a real heavy analysis of the work that we do and read into things in a direction that even surprises me. Like, for example, um, I saw some pretty heavy analysis on why we picked Sephora because they were a French company. And again, you know, it's the question is, was the law violated, right? It wasn't about the fact that they're owned by Louis Vuitton or, you know, that Keneal at one point had had also an enforcement action against them. Um, so sometimes, you know, I'm, I am a little aware that people in privacy are really going to be into the details and going to get down and dirty into what happened. And sometimes they're going to make um, assumptions about things that don't exist. Um, I will say that, you know, the, the documents that we file in cases, like they're supposed to stand on their own. So like, if you want to understand how we approach things or what we think about, um, you know, read the injunctive terms that shows what we, how we think things, the world should be right. Um, and read the complaint because the complaint is alleging what, you know, what we, ha what we think happened or our view on the law and how we view the law. Uh, we we allege that the law was violated. Um, I think that those are the more important documents to read. Um, so I guess that that's the best way I can answer in terms of like what misconceptions exist. What do you have to say about this whole debate that we had about passing a federal law? I mean, we've been having this debate for a very, very long time. And yeah. you know that we got closer than we've been in uh, maybe ever. It's certainly in my memory of privacy legislation proposals at a federal level. Uh, I think some people in the privacy community feel confused about some of the sound bites that have come out of California, not even necessarily from your office, but certainly the CPPA uh, lobbied uh, pretty strongly for, uh, for any federal law to not preempt California, which I kind of get like California did all this hard work, led the nation, you know, has the strongest law that we've had on the books. Um, has a private right of action, although limited, like where does the AG stand or are you allowed to talk about that in terms of whether you would uh, welcome a federal law that preempts California, that preempts California or not? Sure. Uh, Attorney General Rob Bonta led a coalition, I think, of a number of states um, and wrote a letter to Congress uh, with the same position as the agency. Uh, a strong, you know, we we encourage, we're heartened to see the efforts that Congress is making in terms of passing a federal privacy law. That law cannot preempt states um, from more rigorous laws that are are specific to their residents uh, and laws that um, that are supposed to be more protective, right? We we would approach Attorney General Bonta opposes a law that would preempt. Um, because any law that Congress should pass should set up a floor and not a ceiling. Uh, the states need to be able to continue to innovate, right? For all the reasons we talked about earlier, we need to be able to keep pace with, with really quick changing technology. And it's taken Congress a really long time to get to this point of passing a law. And that's going to be the law for, you know, 20 years until the, they, they can amend it potentially. So having a law that preempts or restricts the states from being able to continue to innovate and build on top of that law is not good policy. 
Um, and so that is, that's basically the heart of what uh, Rob Bonta's letter to the, to um, congressional leadership and the California delegation. You know, the, the truth is, is that right now Californians have privacy rights. Um, although they are similar to what the proposed rights are in the federal legislation, Californians get those rights right now and they are exercising those rights right now. Um, and so that is, that's really critical. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the other thing I would mention is that there are other contexts in which federal laws have set a floor and not a ceiling, and it has allowed California to bring and enforce uh, its own state laws that sit on top of that federal flaw. The example I'm thinking of is, you know, HIPAA has, has set, set a floor, and California has an additional state privacy law called the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, the CMIA. I guess I don't, there, I said that one out loud, CMIA. Um, and that law was what led to an enforcement action that we filed a few years ago against a company called Glow, which was a fertility tracker that stored highly sensitive data related to um, sexual and reproductive health, really intimate information. Um, we found that the, the security practices violated this California CMIA, the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, a medical privacy law that sits on top of HIPAA, but it did not violate HIPAA. Right. And so, but for the state law, Glow would not have this enforcement action against them. Um, and, you know, that was, that was a case in which we found, um, we alleged that the app had basic security flaws that put its users' data at risk. It had a feature called Partner Connect where, you know, you could, um, a user could connect with a partner on their, on their reproductive journey, but the app was found at that time to not verify or, uh, uh, make sure that the user had given that permission to that specific other partner. So you could really link with anybody's account and see their data. The other thing is that it did not match, uh, it did not verify that an old password matched an, um, on its servers when a user was trying to update or change a password, right? So you could just enter any password and then change it to a new password and again, have access to all of that really private sexual and reproductive health related information. So again, that led to our case and it was, it was, it's actually like a really important critical case now, you know, in a post Dobbs era, um, where we alleged that GLOW violated the CMIA, um, and it violated California's UCL, the unfair competition law for having, um, you know, for not complying with the reasonable security law, which required, um, protecting medical information. Um, and so that that case was pretty significant. We had, you know, injunctive terms there that were really forward looking um, and really innovative. The company is now required to consider the unique risks that women face online when it comes to sexual and reproductive data. Um, and so, you know, that that right now is a is more critical than ever. And, you know, but for having the ability to pass a more rigorous protective state law, that case would not have been filed. Um, and so I understand that there's a need for a federal privacy law. I, I've always felt that Californians shouldn't be the only ones to enjoy the privacy rights they currently enjoy now, but don't do that at the expense of, a, of binding the states or restricting the states from being able to innovate in their, it, you know, for to protect their own residents going forward. Fair. Let's talk a little bit more about the Sephora case, because obviously it was huge because, for one thing, it was the first big uh, CCPA enforcement case. Everyone was very excited about it. And it also dealt with GPC, uh, global privacy controls. 
And this is an area where I feel like there's a lot of chit chat, uh, you know, on the interwebs and in uh, happy hour conversations about GPC and what, what it means, what's required. Now, I know that you are not permitted to give anything that uh, even sounds like legal advice, but could you, what could you share with us about um, GPC um, in terms of, are you hearing those same sorts of uh, questions about what does this actually mean? What do I do? Wait, could you restate the question? Yeah, sorry, that was a very long question. So the Sephora case uh, related to, in some ways, to, the, to GPC. And GPC is one place where I hear a lot of questions uh, from folks operationally about what it means and what they must do. Are you hearing similar confusion around that? And could you provide any guidance, not guidance, could you could you share with us sort of like what you're hearing and uh, maybe clarify any confusion? So I think the best way to think about this is that California has a regulation in play right now that says a business must treat a user-enabled global privacy control as it would a request to opt out, um, in, like in, in the in the case in which it was signaled, for example, if a consumer clicked the do not sell my personal information link, if there is a global privacy control um, that a user is signaling to say opt me out or you know do not sell my data, that has to be treated in the same way as any request to opt out. Uh, one of the ways in which a consumer can signal that they want to opt out um, through a global control is by enabling the GPC, the, the global privacy control, which is, you know, a mechanism by which uh, it is signaling do not sell my data. Uh, this is something that was developed in response to the regulations. And there's uh, ways in which a user can, for example, you know, enable something on their browser or uh, download an extension for their browser so that they are constantly signaling the GPC. And so, you know, the reason that Sephora was so important is it said, hey, you have to comply with this regulation. And so, so yes, I understand that there may be situations in which companies have questions about GPC, but right now the GPC is able to effectuate a consumer's opt-out request in the same way if, as if a consumer clicks the do not sell my personal information link. And so in that way, companies need to comply with consumers who are sending that signal and should be implementing and building um, to comply with that signal uh, in the same way they would as if they got a, a request to opt out through the link. Um, and so implementing so that that signal is respected and treated as and processed as any other opt out, I think is is important to make sure that you're complying with the law. Do you get a sense that people are confused with, <clears throat> okay, someone hits their GPC control says, yes, uh, opt me out. Then what? Like, that's what I'm sort of hearing about is that there's like, but what does that mean for like the downstream of the data? Like how thorough does that need to be? Are there specific purposes? Like those are some of the questions that I hear about. Do you have a sense that there's confusion about what action must follow a consumer's indication? I think you stop selling that consumer's data. It's just, it is that the business receives a signal. It stops selling the consumer's data. And so it has to make sure that that request is passed down to its third parties that the data otherwise would have been sold to. And then finally, this is my last sort of tactical uh, in the weedsy type question, but I do feel like I still hear people talking about what is a sale. Are you getting questions on that? And do you have any, can you shed any light on how the AG's office is thinking about that? 
think the best response I have for that is without providing legal advice, because we do not give legal advice, we do not interpret the statute, but is to really closely take a read of the Sephora complaint. Okay, fair enough. Okay, I'm losing time with you. Let's talk, let's move things forward a little bit. Um, Where are, you mentioned the Glow case, which you said is still of ongoing importance. Can you give us a sense of the upcoming focus uh, on behalf of the IG? Can we expect to see more Sephora-like cases that really hone in on GPC and uh, selling and sharing data? Where should we anticipate the AG pounces next? I mean, I think in general, the attorney general approaches enforcement by looking at a range of different things. Again, if the law has been violated is usually the most, you know, the, the for, at the forefront of what our analysis is. But we also think about things in terms of vulnerable populations, right? We think about, of course, kids, for example, you know, the, 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 CCPA has additional protections over kids' data as it relates to those who are under 16 and under 13. And so we look very closely at that issue. Um, the age-appropriate design code, or uh, AB 2273, just became law in California. I think that's going to be another uh, round-shifting law here. And so we're going to see how that's going to come into play pretty soon. And no one's not about that. I was like, when that came out, I was like, this is huge. This changes, this changes things. Like if you're a company that wasn't geared toward children necessarily, but you have knowledge that children regularly and not just children, like 17 and under, like to me, that was really big. And I don't hear anyone like freaking out about it. Like they did about some of these other emerging laws. So that's weird, but I would assume that that would, it's going to cause some waves in the near future. Yeah, it's similar to the GDPR's age-appropriate design code. That's where the um, the legislation, you know, the same organization that was behind the AADC in Europe, um, you know, helped write that and guide that legislation in California. It was passed unanimously. I mean, that yep. is a significant, that is really significant. Um, you know, what is passed unanimously at this point is is pretty, is pretty impactful. Um and I think that, you know, it's it's something that was, again, California looks to Europe, but we have a different, you know, we have different legal principles than Europe in terms of how we frame things. Europe provides a lot of guiding principles, right? And California does a lot of thou shalt not. So it's going to be a different approach um, in terms of like when these laws come into play and what, you know, how it's going to look here. But that was, you know, a, a critically important law in terms of the fact that, you know, kids are more and more exposed and using, you know, they they are digital natives in many ways. And so trying to think about, again, getting your arms around how you're handling kids' data, I think is really going to be um, at the forefront of many people's minds. Absolutely. Okay. Um, When is your next vacation? Are you, when do you, when are you going to sleep? Like, it just feels like your world has been going, has been blown up for so long. Now, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel or are you just planning on like two weeks in Hawaii when it's all over? (laughs) When's it over? I don't know. It's not going to be over. Um, Sure. I'd love a vacation. 